Let us pray together. Dear God, how very precious is your steadfast, unfailing chesed love. And we join your holy longing today for that day when all the children of the earth, all the children of the earth will find refuge in the shadow of your wings. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get a little oriented this morning to where we are in the Christian year. Today is the sixth Sunday of the season of Easter. And during this whole season of Eastertide, we are hearing the stories of different people who have encountered the risen Jesus and never been the same again. And today we're going to be hearing the story of how Saul becomes Paul. And then in our second reading from John 14, we're reminded that we're getting, we're fast approaching Pentecost, the day of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So uh, kids and uh, those of you who are young at heart, you can already start thinking about your yellow and red and orange clothing that you can wear that morning. So today we want to focus on the story of Paul's visit to Athens. A wonderful story. And I want to try along the way, and notice that I said try, to reflect on a couple very complicated but also very important questions along the way. And these are, how are we to follow Jesus in a world of incredible religious diversity? And I know many of us are struggling with that question. How do we do that? And the second question is, how are we to relate to the people of all, to all these different people of faith around us? at work and school and in our neighborhoods. I want to start this morning by sharing with you a pivotal story in my own life. From 20 years ago, back in 2004, when our family was on sabbatical on the Greek island of Patmos. We spent a whole month there on the island where the book of Revelation was written. And during my sabbatical there, I spent a couple days up in the monastery at the top of the island's mountain. And a monk there very kindly spent a couple days showing me around, introducing me to the beauty of icons. But he also, during those two days, very persistently tried to convert me to his Greek Orthodox faith. Even though he knew that I was a Mennonite pastor, and even though I shared with him that I was already a devoted follower of Jesus, I still needed to be converted. 
He made no effort to ask me about my life story. Wasn't interested. He made no effort to learn how my God might already have been in, actively involved and engaged in my life. And really made no effort to build a relationship with me. And honestly, I have never forgotten how alienating and awful that felt. I've never forgotten it. And so these past 10 years, you may have noticed that I have never preached a sermon about evangelizing or converting other people to our faith. But, hold on, I am very passionate about something else. And that is helping other people, including our kids, connect with God. The God we have come to know and to see and to love in Jesus Christ. But this is much longer, slower, more patient work. It requires listening to people's stories, making connections with our kids' lives, and building long-term relationships with whoever we're relating with. It is work, as we heard today in 1 Peter 3, that must be done with great gentleness and reverence. So now let us go to the Areopagus. You can see it on our bulletin cover. It's that limestone hill below the Acropolis in the city of Athens. And in our story today, Paul is on his second missionary journey, traveling down through the Greek cities of the great Roman Empire. And along the way, he is beaten and flogged and driven out of town, sometimes by mobs. With this kind of reception, most other apostles would just throw in the towel and go home. <laughs> but not Paul. You see, 15 years earlier, he had personally encountered the risen Jesus in a vision on the road to Damascus. And you can see it. Take a look. Keep this icon on your lap in front of you. If you look at that icon image in your bulletin, you can see Saul, he's still Saul, breathing threats and murder. Don't forget that. Breathing threats and murder and heading up to destroy and crush the church in Damascus. The people of the way, I love that. People of the way is one of the first ways that Christians were called. He is on his way to destroy the church until Jesus stops him in his tracks and says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? 
And that sword that you see Saul releasing, oh my goodness, is so hugely significant. You have to remember that Saul is the one who back in Acts 7 cheered everyone on when they were, he held everybody's coats as they were stoning Stephen to death. So you see, Saul just isn't a Pharisee, but in scripture he is called a zealous one. And zealous back in the first century meant something. It didn't mean you had a warm heart. It meant you had religious convictions that you were willing to kill other people for. You were willing to kill for them. But meeting the risen Jesus causes Saul to be transformed into someone who's not, no longer willing to kill for his faith, but into someone who's willing to die for it. Such a huge difference. Meeting the risen Jesus also expands Paul's vision to see the breadth and the height and the width of God's love for him and for the whole world in Jesus Christ. And so in Athens today, we see the transformed, the changed Paul in action. Up on the Areopagus, on that limestone hill, his Greek listeners have invited him to come and tell about his faith. And we can now see Paul zealously working not to slash and burn, but to connect other people with God. And notice how he does so, so very appreciatively, connecting with their own spiritual stories, their own searching, their own groping for God. He uses the discovery of their altar to an unknown God. They had an altar, and it was, it said, to an unknown God. He connects with that to share with them about the one God of heaven and earth. In verse 27, this is such intimate language. He says, this God is not far from each of us. Indeed, is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And then in verse 28, some of my favorite words in scripture, the God in whom we live and move and have our being. And verse 31, the God whom we have come to know through the risen Jesus. He's making all of these intimate connections with people along the way. And in my own life and experience, I've come to believe that this work of connecting people with God, including our own children, takes this kind of wisdom curiosity, love, and a whole lot of time. It doesn't mean clobbering people with Bible verses, 
but reverently listening to their stories and gently connecting them with God. And in fact, I believe that nurturing a connection for another human being with God is one of the greatest gifts we can give any other human being. The question of how we relate to other faiths, other religions, and to other traditions within Christianity is tremendously complicated. Very urgent one, isn't it? Because so very much of all the violence in our world is happening between the followers of different religions and especially between the followers of Jesus. This question of how we relate to others is one that I have grappled with often in my own life, having lived in the Middle East for five years and in China for seven years. And in both places, I met Muslims and Jews and Buddhists who were much more serious about their faith and reflected much more of God's light than many Christians. That's challenging. And I know you as well have had these kinds of experiences. So let me end today by humbly sharing, humbly sharing some principles that have come to guide me over the years. I have five very brief ones. First, every person on this planet already bears the precious image of God. This shared commonality needs to be our starting point with every person we talk with. We share the image of God together. Two, asking people to share a story about how they have experienced God or the sacred in their lives often leads to much deeper conversations than ones only focused on beliefs and doctrines. Are you with me? In other words, let's talk about how we experience God in our lives. That's where it gets interesting, not arguing about distant mental beliefs in our thought, in our minds. Number three, let us avoid <laughs> comparing the best in our faith with the worst in theirs. We do that all the time, don't we? We compare what's great in us with what's terrible in them, but they could really do the same with us so easily. Instead, let us be willing to notice what is good and of God in each tradition. For in this life, our role is to be witnesses, not judge and jury. At the end of our reading today, Paul tells us that Christ alone will be the judge at the end. And that's good news. 
if Jesus is going to be the one who's going to be judging our lives. And lastly, let us remember that only love transforms. Not polemics, not arguing, not manipulation. As it's been said so beautifully, God refuses to be known by anything else except love. Think about that. God refuses, think about Jesus, to be known by anything except love. And friends, so should we. And during my prayer retreats up in the mountains of Colorado, I have seen this modeled so beautifully by the abbot, Father Joseph there. So reverent and so gentle with each one of us, especially the Mennonite guests. And I just want to tell you, many times for my sermons, right at the top, I write Father Joseph. Just as a reminder that my sermons aren't a polemic. They're a love letter to you and to God. So, dear friends, let us always be ready to share about the God we have come to know and love through Jesus. But let us do so with great gentleness and great reverence. Amen.